I might have said this before, before the pandemic. It might have been in 19, in 2019, 2019, 2018. Uh, we were having a meeting in, in the United States. I'm trying to let my old brains remember where it was, New, not New Hampshire, it's um, Rhode Island. Thank you, Rhode Island. And uh, before the meeting start, one of my favorite brothers, his name is Brother Eugene. He asked the brothers to pray with him. So everybody got together and prayed with him. He had a medical problem. And uh, we prayed with him. And then we asked him to go downstairs because the kind of problem he had needed him to be downstairs in the lower section of the building. We rented a, a, a facility that day, big church, nice church. And uh, he went down and, and uh, by the time we get started, uh, we started to sing, uh, enter into the worship service. I slipped down to the basement where Brother Eugene was. And I walked over to him and I said, Brother Eugene, how are you feeling? And he said, I feel just the same. No change, no improvement. So I said, come back with me upstairs. Let's go and pray. And we went back upstairs and we prayed with him while the worship was going on. And I sent him back downstairs. And... Um, after the, before the worship was done, I slipped back downstairs again at uh, a second time. And I met with Brother Eugene. And this time, I took a sister. I'm not familiar with all the people, but I inquired, is there someone here that can go with Brother Eugene to the hospital? And somebody says, I work at a hospital. This lady said, I said, you're the perfect person. Go down with me. And so I went back down to Brother Eugene, and I said, Brother Eugene, any improvement? He says, no, Brother Singh, I'm still not feeling good. I'm, I'm very sick. So I looked at him, and I said to him, I said, Brother Eugene, I'll be honest with you. And for my honesty, I get into a lot of trouble ever so often. I said, we do not have the power of God like we should have. So I brought this woman with me and she's going to take you to, the, to her hospital, which is like two miles away. Uh, she works there and she's going to take you. Well, that was done. And about a month or a little over a month later, I got a phone call from Brother Eugene. And he said to me, he said, Brother Singh, um, can you remember in Rhode Island when you were there, what you told me? Now, I couldn't remember really what I told him. I said, you remind me. He says, you told me when you went down uh, the, uh, the third time, I think it was. He says, you went down and you told me, we do not have the power of God. And you sent me to the hospital. I said, yes, I did. I said, I probably did. Because, you know, sometimes I say things that are too real. 
Um, people like to hear a fantasy. People love to hear you to tell them uh, that something is wonderful. He said, you saved my life that day. He says, when I went to the hospital, they did emergency surgery. And Brother Singh, you saved my life that day. I said, me telling you, we don't have to. He says, you're just being honest. And so that was maybe two, uh, 2018, 2019, somewhere in that time. Well, today, we really do not have the power of God like they had on the day of Pentecost. I'm hoping that before my life comes to an end, that I live long enough to see the power of God unleashed in the service. When I say power of God, I'm not talking loud singing and lots of dancing and lots of noise and lots of screaming. No. Uh, if you have the power of God, you don't need a lot of noise. When Peter and John walked over, uh, they were going, the early church had this little change over from the Jewish religion to the Christian church. And so it's hard to make that transition radically. So even though Jesus, the church has, was started on the day of Pentecost, and they met on the first day of the week, on Sabbath days, they went down to the temple still. And Peter and John went down to that temple. Uh, the power of God was unleashed on the day of Pentecost. And uh, you know the great story about Pentecost. And um, it's amazing that one day when I was preaching, I made a statement that take Luke away. Ever heard that statement from me? Yes. Yeah, I wish all the preachers that are preaching the gospel should hear that statement. Take Luke away and we would not know what happened on the day of Pentecost. We didn't hear it from Peter. We didn't hear it from John. We didn't hear it from Matthew. We didn't hear it from any of the apostles. But this Gentile called Luke, who was a doctor, he gave us the Acts of the Apostles, and that's when we heard about what happened on the day of Pentecost. One account about what transpired on the day of Pentecost. Take Luke away, and we would not know the missionary journeys of Paul. Because Luke wrote about Paul. As a matter of fact, he accompanied Paul on some of these missionary journeys. Take Luke away. And we, in the Gospel of Luke, we would not know what happened. How John the Baptist was conceived. And his mom was barren. And his father prayed in the temple. Was serving in the temple. And God spoke to him. And told him that his wife would conceive and bear a son. And she was old. He did not believe God. So God made him dumb until that promise was fulfilled. Take Luke away. We wouldn't have all of that. And so uh, preachers prefer to tell you, you know, without bringing Luke in, other things. And that's my problem again. I am too straightforward. But after the day of Pentecost, Peter and John, they had their church service. You know, first day of the week, which was Sunday, but that Saturday, they went to church in the temple. They went to the temple. 
And when they were going into the temple, there was a man lame from his mother's womb, an impotent man sitting at the gate and, uh, of the temple, and he had, a, I imagine, a little cup or a little bowl. Guess what he was doing? Begging for money because they're good guys that are going in here. And so when Peter and John, they had the power of God on their life, and uh, Peter didn't jump, 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 and went to the temple. He didn't shake and vibrate to go into the temple. He and John were walking calmly into the temple. And they look at the man, and the man stretched out his cup. I'm using my imagination. And Peter looked at him. He says, we don't have money. Silver and gold, we don't have any. Well, Peter... I thought people were selling their houses and putting their money into the church. Yeah, into the church, not in Peter's pocket. So even though people were selling their properties and putting it into the church, <coughs> Peter was still broke. And that's something. Uh, today we'll learn a few things. If the Lord helps me here today, the early church was not like our church people today. Preachers want to drive big fancy cars and have mansions that they live in. The early church didn't have that. Isaiah in the Old Testament didn't have that. Jeremiah didn't have that. Um, early church apostles didn't have it. And Jesus himself didn't have it. Discipleship demanded of them. And they made the sacrifices. And so Peter, when he told the man, we ain't got, we don't have silver and gold. Now, if you were the beggar sitting there, your heart broke. These guys look happy. We got money. Your faith, if you had any faith that you'll get some money, it went to zero. But Peter says, but such as we have, we're going to give you today. Hang in there. We're going to go and have fasting and praying for seven days and then come back. Yeah. Now, you see, they did not need to monkey around. They had the power of God. He says, we don't have silver and gold, but such as we have, we're going to give you. Dear Heavenly Father, today we bring this man before you. Dear omnipotent God, omniscient, immutable. Now, he says, such as we have, we give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he grabbed him, pulled him up. And the man's leg got strength and he started to walk. And Peter says, now you go and tell everybody that we got the power of God and we heal you. No, there were not a bunch of show business people operating the early church like the 21st century preachers are doing. I passed at this church and over my years of working in the ministry, millions of dollars have passed through my hand, not into my pocket. I make a sacrifice. We make sacrifices to stay afloat, to keep the work of God going. And over the years, we have seen God work miracles when we did not expect it to happen. We've seen God do wonderful things. 
And when Brother Ricky, when we prayed for him and he called and he said, I want you to tell the church prayer works. Now, Brother Ricky, what do you mean prayer works? The Muslims, they pray five times a day or something like that. The Catholics pray. Prayer works? No, no, no. Prayer does not always work. When we pray according to the will of God, prayer will work. A man called me, a man, a friend of mine called me a couple of days ago. And he said, he says, I made a trip. And I was privileged everywhere I went, I prayed with people. If he asked me to pray with me, I'd said, don't pray with me. Because a lot of prayer is just chanting. Are you listening to me? I took early today because we have a little meeting with the elders after church. So we didn't want to run the church full length. Uh, so I decided to get up early. The whole world chants. The Catholics, they chant. The Pentecostals, they chant. We all say prayers, lots of prayers, lots of shaking, lots of movement. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and I thank God for Luke again. And when he fasted for 40 days, the devil tempted him. And when that was done, he came into Jerusalem and he went into the temple. Can you imagine Jesus walking into the temple like this? <laughs> hmm? Like Elvis Presley when he gets some goosebumps. No, Jesus walked into the temple. I'll turn your attention to that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the most I ever fasted was five days. And when I was young and started fasting, I was a young man, wasn't married, and I would fast. I'd tell my mom, I said, Mom, I'm fasting today. And in the morning we have nice breakfast. But Hashem, it's good to see you. We had nice breakfast in the morning. And I'll tell mom, I'm fasting today. Could you keep my breakfast? No. I did. And so she kept it. And uh, mom, I'm fasting today. Make sure the beef and squash and whatever you had for lunch. Can you keep that for me too? So when my fast was over, Vanessa, I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That was not a fast, that's a starve. And so as a young man, I had to learn that that's not how you fast. You gotta make a sacrifice. And then I start to read about fasting. And there was a book I got called Chosen, God's Chosen Fast. I met the author of that book, uh, Brother Arthur Wallace. And he, he wrote that book because he was showing that if you fast one day, it takes one day to recover your appetite, don't go and eat like a pig after your fast is over. Take a day uh, for your stomach to start slowly get back into position. You fast two days, it takes two days to get back into a rhythm. And then I learned to fast one day and I learned to fast two days and then the maximum I ever went was five days. 
It really does help. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting. Amazing. And today's world, we got to tell everybody we're fasting. Well, you know, I'm only looking weak. Brother Kyle, why I'm looking so weak? I fasted all week. You know what? The moment you say that, you lost the power and what the fasting should accomplish. When you want to pray and fast, enter into your closet and close the door that your father, which see it in secret, can reward you openly. And so the man I talked to, he says, I travel around the world. And I met a lot of people that I prayed for and led them to the Lord. He says, and one person I, I prayed for, and you know, God bless her soul. Her husband is dead and gone to heaven. And um, I had to listen. I didn't say anything. I just had to listen. Because I could have been... Critical and says, well, <clears throat> did you know she met my mother up there? Is she afraid of heights? No, I just listened. And it makes me understand that a lot of us, we have the traditional method of praying. Sister Chandria, I'm going to pray with you. And my reason for praying with you is that I don't have the power of God, but I hope to get your attention and you could love me. Wrong motive. Amen. Sister Althea, oh, I was so burdened for you. I'm going to pray for you. Did it change your life? If it does not change your life, then that prayer is for me to get connection with you and to get your attention and allegiance to me. We did that out in Pentecost. My point in making all of this is that the power of God is missing in the church. So we need the music. And because I'm such a critic, and you listen to me for a little bit here, bear up with me. Because I'm such a critic, every time I sing a song, and you know I criticize the customs of the fellowship, I criticize our dancing, I criticize the extreme music. I can't criticize a lot of things. And I make enemies more than I make friends. And um, I don't know if I make enemies or I just make myself a cr being critical, a critic, uh, being criticized. But like, for example, today I wrote this down. Meaning. Uh, we sing that song, flash it up in the quietness of your presence. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. And it says, in the quietness of your presence, we bow before you. Isn't that wonderful? We bow before your throne. We're singing that song to the Lord. Uh, with our hearts as one in worship, we lift to you this song. We sing, isn't that what the angels around the throne of God says? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth is full of your glory. Isn't that what the Bible says? Well, there's my little pick. We sing holy, holy, 
we sing holy, mighty, worthy of our praise. God, you're, you're so lucky that we are praising, yeah. Is he worthy of our prayers or are we humble to praise him? You know the writers, they didn't have a revelation. I'm the critic. <clears throat> and when I would change when I would change that, I would say it's worthy of all praise, not our praise. Like God is a little puppy. And we say, praise be to you, and you should be happy because I'm praised. No, no, no. See, when we sing, we sing with the spirit of that song and the understanding thereof. And we'll get into trouble. Somebody actually mentioned that to me, that the system, uh, Facebook and all these systems are waiting for you to say the wrong thing. And then they get to you. Listen, I preach against sin. And if you have a problem with sin, Facebook then you got a problem because I cannot stop preaching against sin. That's the, what God has placed in my heart. And so, worthy of all praise. That's what sounds good. Not my praise. I'm counting it an honor to praise God. Thank you. And so, when we come to criticism here in Luke, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And then he came on into the temple. <clears throat> the devil tempting him for <clears throat> with three basic areas of his life. And it says in verse 14, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Was he jumping like a kangaroo? What the power of his Spirit means? Well, we had a great meeting. What makes it great? The presence of God was there. What make you think it was the presence of God? Because the assemblies of God think the same. The Baptists feel the same. The Seventh-day Adventists feel the same. Everybody feels the presence of God. But you see, I look at that post that I did this morning, Brother Joe. And if you got a Holy Ghost and I have the Holy Ghost, we wouldn't see differently. Same spirit. If I have the presence of God and I have the genuine Holy Ghost and Sister Chandra's got the Holy Ghost, the genuine Holy Ghost, we would not have diverse doctrines. The spirit wouldn't lead her contrary to the way the spirit would lead me. And our teachings would promote godliness and holiness. And so Jesus, he enters into the temple. It says in verse, in verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. That don't mean he was shaking. He had an anointing on his life like Peter and John had on that day they went into the temple. And when they got in there, Jesus said, he went into the temple. And then when he was set down um, in verse 16, and then he came to Nazareth where he was brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. He's going to read from the scrolls. And he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61 of Isaiah. And it says here in verse 18, he reads like this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the spiritually blinded ones, that's what it is, and set at liberty those that are wounded by the devil and bruised and bounded by the devil and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's all Jesus did. And when he was finished reading that scripture, he closed the book and gave it to the minister, whoever was there, and he sat down and everybody's looking at him. They expected him to give a big talk, but now he sat down and all eyes were looking on him. The entire synagogue was looking at him because they knew him. They knew he didn't go to college. They knew like John the Baptist, he was like contrary to the traditions of the fathers. He didn't follow whatever the tradition of the fathers were. He was a little bit contrary. And when he sat down, they looked at him. Then he's going to say something that will make them all start to think he is a false prophet. Closed the book, gave it back to the minister, sat down, and the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day, today, 2,000 years ago, he says, what Isaiah wrote is fulfilled in your ears. Now, he didn't say fulfilled in your hearts because they were just a bunch of listeners. You sitting in this church today, are you just a listener? Don't have to answer, but that's a question. Are you just a listener? Or are you willing to make adjustments and let the Word of God change your life? And, and when they sat down, verse 22... He's, after he told them the scripture was fulfilled in their ears only. What makes you think that the scripture is fulfilled? Because he was the one bringing liberty to the captives. And all bear him witness and wondered at the tremendous loud volume screaming preaching he did. Is that what he did? The Bible says... And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious. No scream. He sat down. He actually sat down. Back in his seat. And while they looked at him. He started with gracious words. He didn't scream. He didn't yell, he didn't jump around, he didn't fire his hand or his foot. He conducted himself contrary to what most Pentecostal preachers today would do. He sat down and he taught the crowds. Gracious words meant that if you had sin in your life, he's not preaching against you. He's preaching to help you. He sat there like a spiritual doctor and like a spiritual father. And anyone that had spiritual needs, his gracious words. The grace is the unmerited favor of God. The gracious words proceeded out of his mouth. 
And you would imagine fasting for 40 days, gracious words coming out of your mouth, everyone in the synagogue looking at you, you would imagine they'd all get saved. See, there's a reality in the Bible that we sometimes overlook. Because every prophet that God sent was rejected by God's people. Most of the apostles that Jesus sent out, even though they had the Holy Ghost under their Pentecost, most of them were martyred by the crowds they preached to. Isaiah writes of Jesus, he says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53. Yes. He is a man. He is despised. What verse? Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of happy, happy, happy. Now, he is despised and rejected of the people that he came to save. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. But the people he came to save were not willing to be changed from their traditional habits. And he had gracious words, nice words. As Isaiah said, he's a man of sorrows. He's not a giggly, happy-go-lucky individual. I saw a film one time with Jesus, uh, his 30, 32 teeth showing. I shut the movie off and I said, that's not Jesus. What kind of... Hollywood perversion, that is. He's a man of sorrows. You know why? Because Israel was in sin. Jesus was a man of sorrows. And his closest acquaintance was grief. And Israel would hide, as it were, their faces from him. He is despised. And we esteem them not. And he went on further, says, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You see, your griefs and your sorrows was put upon him. And that is why he could have died in Gethsemane before he even hit the cross. Because his perspiration was like drops of blood. See, the Jesus I serve is not some fickle, emotional Jesus. The Jesus I serve was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He had borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Which, where is that? Let me finish this here. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and, and we, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, and that is our sin, your sin, my sin, our ancestors' sin, the sins of Israel. He was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised 
for the way we contrary work, worship God, for our iniquities. I'm finished with that. And so, here in Luke, gracious words he preached unto them. And he said unto them, Will you surely say unto, unto me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. You know, Jesus read their minds. And he went on here and he said in verse 24, He knew their hearts, he knew what they were thinking. And they knew him as a boy growing up in their community. And he said, no prophet, verse 24, is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in, the day, in Israel in the days of Elias. When the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. When there was a great famine. But none of, none of them was Elijah, Elias sent on to but uh, Sarah, Sarah, a city of Sidian, unto a woman that was a widow. And he went on and he talked to the people and, uh, and uh, I'm getting to the part where uh, they were all um, ready to kill him. Verse 28, and all, everybody say all. You mean every member in that synagogue that listened to him? He fasted 40 days and that did not change them. That did not convert them. Everyone in the synagogue all in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. He had gracious words, but blind people just don't see. They were filled with wrath, and they wanted him dead. In those days, you could kill a man when he's a heretic. In these days, you can stone a man mentally only and destroys credibility they wanted him dead and they rose up and thrust him out of the city the whole church took Jesus thrust him out of the city took him let me read that here <clears throat> to the hill whereon the city was built that they might cast him down headlong. They wanted Jesus dead. When you compromise the gospel, people love you. When you preach the truth, no one loves you. And the same not only goes for the church, but it goes for people that are your parents. There was a time when the parents... Scripture says the parents have eaten sour grapes and the kids' teeth are set on edge. In our day, the kids eat sour grapes and come home with a rotten spirit and the parents' teeth get set on edge. We live in a terrible age. We live in a terrible age. Amen. And that is why I have this obstinate way about me. That the board of trustees of this church should not even try to tell me what to preach. You'd hurt yourself. Because I preach only what I feel God wants me to preach. And it might contradict years of tradition. But I'll preach only what God puts in my heart to preach.
Amen. You know why? Because I'm called of God to preach the gospel. And so they tried to kill him, but Jesus rose up. Not time to die yet. There's a time for everything. And he passed in their midst and went his way. Last Wednesday night, and I've got just a few minutes uh, more to go talk to you here today. Last Wednesday night, uh, we touched on a scripture in Matthew chapter 24. And because of time, I could not have finished that scripture. But in Matthew chapter 24, beautiful area of the word of God, Jesus talked to his disciples. And then as it came to the latter part of that chapter in verse 42, Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. But this know, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken. He says, Watch. Watch your spirit. Watch your attitude. Watch how you live. Because you don't know when the Lord is going to come. Now somebody says, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. Wednesday night I told you that, uh, that Brother Ved and Sister Jasmine were coming from Rochester. And we expect them to come. So we prepare for them. That's right. We prepare for the visitors coming. And... When they come, we're not rushing around. But isn't that something? We're waiting for Jesus to come, but we're not getting prepared. You know why? Because most people that say, I'm waiting for Jesus to come, don't believe he's coming. And you're not the only one, because Paul, uh, Jesus went on here, he says, Who then is the wise servant? Faithful and wise servant, verse 45, whom the Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Who then is that preacher that is wise enough to give the people relevant messages that will save them from today's evil? That's what should be preached. What we need is messages. Well, you know, everybody's saying you need to talk about a good Samaritan and prodigal son. No, no, no. I need to talk about problems that exist today. I need to tell you, you can sit down and fill your mind on the internet and expect to be in the first resurrection. I'm here to tell you, you can sit down and look at dirty movies and expect the right spirit to be developed in your life. I'm here to tell you that the evil today that's existing today never existed 2,000 years ago. The message Paul preached is wonderful. It becomes a good foundation for us to stand on. But Paul, if he was living today, he would have to deal with the evils of today. Oh, yes. My job is to save you from the evils of today by giving you meat that is relevant to counteract the evil in your lives. Ever a young man come to you and say, today we were to have an altar call, but we're not going to do it until maybe next week or so. But ever a young man come and says, well, you know, I don't feel God. Or <laughs> saying, I don't really feel God. What you feel? 
Well, I miss my video games. <laughs> Brother Sam, I think, said the last time he got up, um, he was telling us that prayer, prayer should be like the oxygen you breathe. Prayer. Can you stop breathing for a moment? Let me see how long you can last. My doctor told me years ago, I went to the doctor and they didn't have me do a, what you call a, a sleep apnea test. You know, anybody's got sleep apnea? Yes. Person does. Okay. Uh, you go for a sleep apnea test and I went in and they got to spend overnight. And I don't like to sleep any other, any other bed but my own. And so I'm spending overnight and they put me to lie down and they put all kinds of stuff on me. Now, I don't sleep on my back normally, but that day, the night, they got me there. And when they finished doing the sleep apnea test, they sent it to my doctor. Doctor said, you stop breathing like for 30 seconds. That's half a minute. I said, I did? He said, yes, according to the test, you stop breathing for 30 seconds. He says, you have a serious case of sleep apnea. He says, you got to get this machine and put it on your face. And it pumps air into your lungs and makes you breathe. So I tried it. And I tried it. And I sold mine to Bert. But I said, yes, sell it to you, I'll give you free. <laughs> I sold my sleep apnea machine to Brother Sam and I said, I don't want no machine to put on my face. And I never needed a machine because if you put me on my back, I would stop breathing too. I'm not accustomed sleeping on my back. And so the doctor's prognosis was not for me. When I fell off the ladder in 2001 and broke my heel, the, the doctor says you got three years and then you'd have arthritis on your foot and you won't be able to walk. You'd have to have a wheelchair or something move you around because you broke your heel. Your heel got busted. I told Brother Raleigh today, I said, I forgot I have a broken heel. <laughs> huh? Is that how I'm going? No, I mow the lawn, I can climb a tree. When there is something to be done on the roof of this church, I'm up there. As I get older, I have to be careful and I have to watch out. I remember Sister Chandra is there watching me. A lot of times she comes, she watch me, Sister, go up carefully. And if you fall, I'll catch you. No, she never said that. But you know, you, you, you're at a certain age, so you gotta be more careful. I'm not running up the ladder. I'm just going up the ladder slowly. And if she's not there, tell Brother Joe, hold this ladder. Hold it. We cannot live by what they tell us we should do out there all the time. There's too much on the internet to destroy your faith in God. God can still heal. 
God can still deliver people from the power of darkness. Prayer still works. Genuine prayer, not chanting prayer, genuine prayer. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, it will indeed move that mountain that's standing before you mentally. I believe God. We sing a song. I like that one. I believe God. I can sing that no problem because I believe God. And in Matthew, it says, who then is that, verse 45, that wise, uh, faithful and wise servant, whom the Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. If the Lord returns today, I think I'll be blessed because I preach the word of God like it should be preached. That's what my conviction is. I'm not preaching somebody's gospel. I'm preaching the gospel that God has placed in my heart. It might contradict years of tradition. It might con contradict my fathers of the past. But that's why they wanted to kill Jesus. Because he says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they're dead. Stop following them. What do you mean? You condemning our tradition? Mm -hmm. They wanted Jesus dead from the start. First time he finished fasting and praying, going into the temple, they wanted him dead. And they wanted him dead all his life until they eventually killed him. Only God knew that he died for our sins. They thought they did justice by killing him. And it goes on further on here. He says, but if that evil servant, there's a faithful servant and there's an evil servant. If that evil servant says, well, you know, the Lord's not coming back. And he starts to eat and drink with the drunken. Now, I'll tell you something briefly here today. When the Bible speaks of drunkenness. Remember the story of the two sons of Aaron that offered strange fire they were literally drunk and went to, went to church the boys were had wine and that is why when Paul was writing he says a bishop must be hold on a minute I'll read that myself in first Timothy and chapter 3 says this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desired a good work. A bishop must be blameless. The husband of one wife at a time. No, one wife, period. He says, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Everybody read verse 3. Not given to wine. This is literally... Back there. So we're saying, you know, I, I have to have my little wine. If you want to be a pastor, you want to be a bishop, don't touch the stuff. It's okay for a husband and wife to have a little glass of wine or champagne or something on their anniversary. <laughs> I, was, I was in Haiti. I was in Haiti, and I was in a minister's, I shouldn't say Haiti, 
But um, I was in Haiti and um, uh, the brother picking me up, he was a little late the Sunday. I tell him, I'm never late. I said, I'm never, ever late. Be on time. And Junior came and he 20 minutes late. So I said, brother, you're 20 minutes late. He says, well, you know what? We had a little birthday celebration last night and um, I had a bear up because um, uh, we, served, we said we had too much champagne, something like that. So it slipped out of his mouth. And he stopped talking. I say, what? Uh, no? So we got into church that day and Brother Richard got up before me and he preached on this same scripture. And he said, up to teach. And then he skipped verse 3. Wanted rule it well. Brother Richard skipped verse 3. And I sent him to preach because I did not want to get up in the heat of my spirit and talk to eight ministers sitting there. So when he slipped, I said, well, I got to get up. And I got up and I told the people, I said, all the ministers, 80 ministers, or maybe more, sit down there. I said, you know what? Brother Richard missed verse 3. It didn't say not given to much wine. It says not given to wine, period. If your brothers are going to be ministers working for God, you need to quit drinking champagne and wine. I don't know if they hated me from then or they loved me. I think Haitians love me generally. And they just got to bear up at me. I love the people. I said, I do not touch the stuff. Or the saying, you must be holy. No, I got other things I touch that I should not touch. But I'm not. You want to hear? <laughs> I hope not. But I'm asking God to help me. I have not yet apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. But I pray that God would help me to give meat in due season. Because when those boys got into the temple and they were literally drunk. They offered strange fire. While the Bible talks about a drunkenness that is associated with apostate Christianity. And if you're a part of the body of Christ and you listen to this message today, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're listening to this message today, are you drunk intoxicated with the wine of our fornication woman of revelation 17 because if you are a member of the body of christ and you're celebrating pagan customs pagan rituals you bring into the church you are spiritually drunk and as long as you're spiritually intoxicated you will offer strange fire that God will kill you spiritually and you might not even know it. Yes, sir. When you go to a big meeting, in some of these big meetings, half the preachers are dead spiritually. Mm -hmm. If I'm to go to the next big meeting, I will ask them, I hope you brothers are not dead spiritually. And they would love me. 
people love the truth, no? No. My job is to preach it whether you like it or not. I'm giving meat in due season. But the evil servant says, my Lord is delaying his coming. Back to Matthew 24. And he starts to eat and drink with apostate Christianity. And ministers that are not called of God needs a Bible school to go to. To be brainwashed. With what? Theology that came from our fellowship? No, theology that's a part of Babylon. And then they get up in the pulpit and he says, we came out of Babylon. No, you're full of Babylon. All of this little bit I said here is for a minister listening to us on, online. If you're full of Babylon, if you celebrate the customs and, of pagan, and pagan traditions in your, in your church, you're full of Babylon. And when Jesus, in Revelation 18, when he says, come out of her, my people, he's talking to you and I. Don't worry, point your finger at somebody else. We got to examine ourselves and make sure we're not guilty. Because I might say, preach the gospel, come out of her and my people. And I'm loaded with her. I'm intoxicated with the wine of her fornication. Because anyone intoxicated, whether it's a little sip or a big sip, you can never offer anything else but strange fire. Your worship, you would encourage a worship where people think they're in the Mardi Gras. You'll, you'll have a worship service where people feel they're in carnival. Not in the church. God's a great king. And if we're to worship him, we must worship him with reverence. Because he is a great king. And here, it comes down here. It says that the Lord of that servant, verse 50, shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and shall cut him asunder, shall severely scourge him, the margin says, and appoint him with his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then a little story here in chapter 25, a little story in chapter 25, I want you just listen to me as I close this off. Chapter 25, it tells us that there were, the kingdom of heaven is like none to ten virgins which took their lamps and went into the, to meet the bridegroom. Now listen to me carefully. Ten virgins. You know, King James translations say virgins. When you go back and check other translations, it says bridesmaids. Ten bridesmaids are waiting for the Lord to come from the wedding. Five were wise and five were foolish. Five minutes more, I'm done. Five were wise, five were foolish. I'm dealing with fives here now. Five minutes more, I'm done. The five who were foolish took lamps but didn't take extra oil because sometimes the bridegroom takes, comes late in the night. He's coming from the wedding, you know, depends on what was going on. So they did not carry extra oil, so their lambs went out. The ones that were wise, they had a little container with extra oil. And so when their lambs went out, you would imagine they would fill back their lambs and keep it lit. But guess what? They didn't. 
they had the extra oil, but their lambs went out, and the foolish ones, their lambs went out. And the wise and the foolish, they slumbered and slept. So, Brother Singh, what are you saying? I was saying five were dumb and five were dumber. Because if you have the oil and the light is going out and you're not lighting it, you're dumb in not taking oil. But if you have the oil and you're not utilizing it, you're dumber. There's a movie like that I think they have called Dumb and Dumber or something like that. Well, you can look at this little story here. Because five were wise and five were foolish, five were dumb and five were dumber. If God has given you knowledge, you're listening to me today? It's oil I'm offering you. And the oil of, this, of the scriptures, this knowledge I'm giving you here today, is not designed to only be fulfilled in your ears. But it's to be utilized in your life that as you leave this building today and go back into the world, you want to live to please God. Otherwise, you'll be like the foolish virgins or the ones they call wise virgins. You got the oil, but you're not igniting it. But you know, the best part of this entire 25th parable is it says at midnight, at midnight. All of them sleeping. Bridegroom is not here yet. But at midnight. That's a bridegroom coming late right. And the bridegroom is coming at midnight. And they're all slumbered. They're all sleeping. They're all intoxicated with the wine of her fornication. And guess what. At midnight. There was a cry. Work. The bridegroom is coming. Which one of the virgins said that? None. But there was a watchman that was awake, that did not sleep, that did not allow the darkness to crowd his mind and his mentality. And when the time was come, he was shouting, Awake! Well, I'll tell you something. Today, the watchman's voice is telling you to awake out of your deep slumber. Awake to righteousness. Awake to the plan of God. Because the night is far spent. The day is at hand. We need to start living. To please God. We need to start detoxing. Our system. From the wine of our fornication. From false doctrines. False ideologies. Pagan custom. Pagan traditions. We need to get that out from our midst. Because Jesus is coming back. For a church that is free from spiritual intoxication. He's coming back for a church without spot and without wrinkle. May God help us to come to that place. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this another day in your house. Lord, there's so much to learn from your word. And we pray today, Father, that not only for our local assembly... But for those of us that are elders and those of us that are in the ministry, whether here locally or overseas, Father, that are following this message, that you would wake us up out of our deep slumber, O oh, Father, and prepare a way for us to see light. Please have mercy on the church. Please help us to come out of Babylon. 
spiritually and mentally and physically when that's necessary. Let this word challenge our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord.